You're listening to a message from Highway Church with Jim Hockaday. Day three of three. Enjoy. Come on, let's lift our hands just a moment to the Lord. Father, thank you so much. Oh, Father, thank you so much. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for healing someone's shoulder right now. Thank you so much for moving up and down someone's spine right now. Thank you, Lord God, for touching someone's liver right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Thank you, Lord, for releasing the migraine headache pain and delivering them so they'll never have it again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Even the scalp, Lord God, is being touched right now by your presence. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the ankle that's being healed in Jesus' name. Father, we don't even have to walk in this life with aches and pains. Praise the Lord. It's not just getting rid of what people think is a big sickness or disease. Even aches and pains disappear in your presence. We thank you, Lord. This is just the overflow of letting you be God. Hallelujah. So, Father, I thank you so much for what you're doing to these people and what you're doing to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, a story just came up in my heart for me to tell you, and then I'll I'll run right to the scriptures here. Uh, It's a story about a a friend of mine. Um, He's a a bona fide cowboy, not not a wannabe. You know, wearing a belt buckle and having a truck doesn't necessarily qualify you to be a cowboy and this friend of mine would always give people that you know a hard time like that that would he said you know he's got four earned PhDs and was at school he took this agriculture course you know and the teacher was talking all about farming and so he just raised his hand and said well number one where do you live and the teacher said well I live in an apartment in such and such a part of town and he said what do you drive he says well I drive a you know a particular car and he said I don't understand how you're qualified to talk about agriculture because people that are qualified live on farms and drive trucks and work the ground right I'm ringing really quite a bit up here and I'm kind of afraid to move so um, anyhow with a perspective like that um, this was a really interesting story. It was two weeks after him being saved. So this will do away with the idea that, you know, you have to be saved a real long time and go through a lot of courses in order to qualify to do something for the Lord. Two weeks after being saved. Now, granted, this person's very, 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 very intelligent. Like, really intelligent. Like, if he wants to know something... He just goes into Barnes and Nobles and takes the big, huge encyclopedia or a huge book that could be 400 pages long, and he reads 5,000 words per minute with 97% retention. So within an hour to an hour and a half, he's read through the entire book. Literally, he goes like this to one page to another page, flips, goes like this to this, and then flips it. And you wouldn't think that's possible, but I've actually tested him on that. I wrote something and gave it to him. It was a whole page long, uh, double-spaced, 12 font. And I said, so read that for me, what do you think? And he looked at it and he goes, that's pretty good. I said, are you going to read it? He said, I did. And I said, well, then I'm going to test you. And I literally gave him a verse, excuse me, a sentence, and he completed the rest of the sentence. Gave him another sentence, and he told me what the next sentence was. That's like totally cheating, okay? 
So this is the second week after he's saved, and he went into the feed store, and there was a woman there that was uh, just crying out for help. Please help me, help me, help me, somebody. And you know, and he's not the owner of the store at all. He's just in there buying some feed for the, for the horses and all. And so he said, well, ma'am, what's your problem? And she said, well, it's my cat. She said, I, I slammed the door on my cat's head. I don't think it's doing very well. I need a vet. And he said, well, let's go look at your cat. And so he went out, and, and she had the cat in the trunk, and she opened up the trunk, and, and you know, its tongue uh, was hanging out of its mouth, and, and she definitely got all nine lives with one, okay? And his comment was, you know, your cat's as dead as a can of corned beef. You need, a, you need God. You don't need a vet. And she replied to that, well, I'm a Christian. Well, that didn't go very well with him because when you're that smart, it's very difficult to cheat yourself by, by compromising. In other words, you know, when you're that smart, you can't make two plus two equal three. It really has to equal four. Now, the interesting thing is, I'm not saying we're not smart just because he is. It's just that we get dumbed down by the world. The world is constantly forfeiting the absoluteness of what's accurate for whatever seems good at the time. And the world doesn't have a problem with saying, well, today, two plus two will equal five. Just everybody know that it will equal five. And if someone said, well, no, it doesn't equal five, it equals four, then they would say, we don't like you because you're making us feel uncomfortable right now. And then they would come up with a terminology against you. And you're not trying to condemn anybody. You don't care. Like, I don't care if you say two plus two equals five. I, I don't care. That's, that's on you. That's your choice. It's like I went to my niece. She's such a sweet girl. But, you know, she's always struggled with her own identity. And she's amazingly beautiful. So the chump that she got for a husband was a far cry from what she could have had. And this guy just thinks he's as smart as a whip, you know. So we went and stayed there, and I wasn't going to say anything. It's his life, you know. And he came downstairs. They had me on the couch, which was totally fine. He came in late, you know. Went out and had a cigarette, came back in. He'd had, you know, a few, few whatever, you know. Uh, you could tell he was a little bit more giddy or, or willing to mix it up than maybe it would have been. And uh, he came up to me kind of real bold and got in my face and said, you know, I've been wanting to talk to you, you, you being the preacher. I said, well, here I am. And he said, I've been wondering, you know, what you think about and I said, I care less what you think. He said, you what? I said, I could care less what you think. I said, you can make all the choices you want and go straight to hell, and it's on you. I said, so I don't give two cents for your thought, not one. He said, I, 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 I. I said, yeah, I, 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 right back to you. I said, you little whooper snapper, you don't mean nothing to me. 
He goes, man, I knew I liked you. <laughs> and I said, you have to understand. I said, I'm not trying to be rude to you. I said, but you want to fight. You want to argue about religion. And I said, I'm not going to do it. Because I already know Jesus. He's real. I've been there. I've done that. I got the t-shirt. I'm going to heaven. And he's real to me every day. And you're not going to change me, you little arrogant thing. <laughs> and like I said, if you end up deciding to go to hell, I'll be sad that you do, but I could care less. You know, I can't get wrapped up in someone's life just because they want to make the choices they make. And that's the world. That's the world for you. You know, he wanted to pull me into an argument. I'm not going to go into that argument. I already know what I know. And besides that, when I grew up, my parents taught me to respect my elders even if I didn't agree with them. In other words, I could be talking to someone that's older than me, and I'm going to talk to him extremely respectful. I mean, just at the restaurant we went the other day, you know, we, we said initially we'll have about eight or ten, I think you said, something like that. And then we ended up with six initially, and then there was others. We got, we got some wires crossed, and then we had three more that came. But they set the tables up for a larger party, and then when we weren't gonna have a larger party, you know, we, we had to take a whole table away. Now, it wasn't this big, huge, long table, but it was, it was my arm's width here, and it was about this wide here. And, and the, the waitress, you know, she reached down and grabbed the table like this to pick it up and move it, and I went to help her. And she said, no, I got it, and she moves it over like this. And then I grabbed the edge of it while she was gonna push it over, and she looks at me, she said, do I come into your home and move your furniture? Then you don't come into my restaurant and touch my tables. Now, I didn't say what I wanted to say because I was with company. But I would have said, my mother taught me to always assist and help a lady, but obviously you're not a lady. See, and if, and, if, and if you don't guard your heart, you start thinking like them. So is that what ladies want, you know, for us men just to sit there and watch you carry things? My wife brings home groceries and doesn't touch one of them. That's right. She comes in the house and says, hon, can you? Yeah. That's right. You bet I'm going to help. I'm going to help so fast. Why? Because she's kind enough to cook for me. And, and, and when I was cooking for myself, food did not taste the same. <laughs> as it does when she cooks for me. And I really, really honor that. I do. I, I totally honor that. You know. I remember she told me one time, it was the first, first, first month of marriage is a, is a really enlightening deal. You know, a, lot of, a lot of things happen you know, that are enlightening. And, and she said to me, when she said, hey, I, I can't go to the grocery store right now, but could you go for me? And I said, well, sure, I'd love to. And she said, here's a list. I got five things. I said, you got five things and you want me to take a list? I said, I got your five things. I said, keep your list. She said, well, are you sure? I said, of course, I'm sure. 
Just keep your list. I'll be right back. Now, in Oklahoma, you know, people drive way different than they do in New York and, and Massachusetts. So I'm driving to the store, and I made myself a little ditty. Number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. You know, because I already put myself out there, you know. And this guy cut in front of me, and I just had to do what I had to do. And I laid the horn on real good and just said a few things to him, you know, about his driving ability. And then I went back to my, number di my, my, my little ditty. Number one, number two, and then three was gone. And number four, number, where did five go? <laughs> Oh my gosh, where did they go? Number one, number two, number four. Shoot, where's three and where's five? Ticked me off because I knew that guy that cut in front of me. He took them, you know what I mean? So I got into the store. <laughs> I got into the store and I went and got number one, number two, and number four. And then I thought, okay, number one, and number two, and number four. What do they make? Because if they make this, then number three and five had to be this. Because I'm trying to use my brain, you know. And I went and got three and five. And I took it home and I put that on the counter and I walked away. I said, there's your, there's your groceries. And as soon as I walked away, she goes, what's this? I said, it's number three. She said, what's this? It's number five. And then, you know, she's so smart. She walks out and she said, no, it's not. And she's holding the list. So guess what I take now? Well, I take the list. But going back to our story, you know, people change and alter things constantly. And that's the only reason why I said that about the, about the restaurant, because people are constantly trying to change things and make new normals that are not in the real game. It's, it's altered. It's altered. It's, it's skewed. And then, then the next generation grows up thinking this is life. Well, no, it's not. It's not how it used to be. Well, it doesn't have to be like you. No, there are certain principles that need to stay and remain the same, especially when it comes to respect. Because, see, if we can't respect one another, how can you respect? I'll say it another way. If you can't respect someone you can see, how can you respect someone you can't see? And today, you know, we don't even know who our neighbors are because you don't need to because you got everything you need right on your TV. Right? <laughs> if you want a punishment for a young kid today, I'll tell you what the punishment is. You don't even have to actually use a spanking stick, although I'm not against them at all. But if you want a punishment, all you got to do is you got to tell your child when they do something wrong to their friend, you're going to have to go to them face to face and tell them you're sorry. Not face to face. I'll Twitter them. No. I'll inbox. No. I'll face. Uh, no. Okay. I'll text them. No, you're going to go face to face. Oh, I'm not face to face, Daddy. I can't do face. Yes, you're going to go face. You're going to look them in the eye and tell them you were wrong and you're sorry. Would you please forgive me? Oh, it's just the hardest thing in the world. Why? Because we're so stuck in our own little worlds anymore with these phones and gadgets, you know that we don't know that there's a world out there. And if that's how we as believers are gonna be in this last day, we're gonna miss everything. And it kinda of goes in line with what we're talking about today. The possibility that God's really in your life 24 seven and wants to actually be seen and show up, but we're kind of not necessarily aware. Amen? So my friend BJ, you know, he said, uh, she said, well, I'm a Christian. Well, see, to somebody that that's smart, Christian and dead cat, well, that doesn't add up. 
And see, he's just saved, so he doesn't know that we are fine when prayers don't work and when things fail. We're totally fine because it's, it's just if something works, you know, every one in a hundred prayers, we'd be happy. See, we dumbed it down. Jesus said, if you ask, you receive. If you seek, you find. If you knock, it's open. He didn't say, if you ask, sometimes you receive. Now, in my church that I grew up in, it was God doesn't usually do it, but most of the time it's maybe, <laughs> and every once in a while it's yes. That's how we, we were taught. So he said, uh, when she said, well, I'm a Christian, he said, so? And she said, well, I prayed. Now, now it's getting worse. I'm a Christian who prayed to God, but the cat's dead. <laughs> so he said, so what did you pray? And then she got emotional. She said, oh, I prayed for God's mercy for my cat. And he goes, mercy? Oh, my God, your cat's dead. It needs life. <laughs> and she said, well, I, I, I don't know what you mean. He said, yeah, I know you don't know what I mean. He said, listen, lady, I'm not praying for your cat. It's the ugliest cat I've ever seen. He said, but I will pray for you. Now, this is just two weeks after being saved. But he figured it out. So he put his hand on her shoulder, and this is what he prayed, which today is probably still one of the greatest prayers I've ever heard. Put his hand on her shoulder and said, God, please, please, open her eyes just enough so she can believe just a little, and then, notice the last part, then you can be God. In other words, she's in the way. Because why would you ever pray a prayer and not get an answer unless you're in the way? Because when you're out of the way, God is always God. And when God's God, like everything in the Bible happens for us just like it does in the Bible. When he prayed that prayer, she just cried out without thinking. and said, oh, God, I do believe. Meow. The cat sat up. <laughs> and she looked at him and said, oh, my God, this is a miracle. To which he said, no, that's not a miracle. She said, oh, yes, it is. This is a miracle. My cat is alive. He said, no, that's not a miracle. Because to him, that would just be normal. It's not special. Why would it be special? God, you're attached to him. You're connected to him. You prayed for something. He answered. Wouldn't that be the normal scope of Christianity? But to her, it was a miracle, which then says something about her equations. See, for him, everything was math. And she said, well, if it's not a miracle, then what is? He said, well, the miracle here today is that after all these years of you saying you know him, today you finally believed him. <laughs> she said, well, I, I, I don't know what you mean. He said, that's exactly what I mean. Now, my point of saying that as we go over to John chapter 17 is to say, look at really what he prayed it wasn't that she had to have so much faith. She had to have so much belief. She had to jump through hoops, you know. It was just something as simple as opening up her heart just enough to conceive of the idea that God actually could do something beyond what she was able to comprehend. And don't ask me to repeat that. That came out well, but I, I didn't know what I was actually saying. Amen. <laughs> 
That's the problem when you preach by inspiration. I don't, I don't half know what's coming out either. So sometimes I'm shocked in a good way, and sometimes I'm shocked in, well, anyhow. Let's move on to John chapter 17, okay? Because I want you to see that, that if you're going to actually complain about this service today, it's because you're going to say, okay, that was too simple. It has to be harder than that. Come on, make it harder so I feel like I'm at least working toward the end goal. Don't make it so simple that I could have the end goal right now. Because that would put pressure on me to feel like, you know, I have to attain. No, that's the whole deal. Everything Jesus did was for us to immediately, the moment you're born again, ascend to the place of experiencing him constantly. God doesn't want you to wait. He doesn't want to put you through three or four courses and then you can finally say, hey, I get to meet you now. That's not how he is. Now, that's how the world is. Do you know that's how the world is? You know, these people on, you know, the internet and these people that do, you know, their public speaking, they'll bring you right to the point of telling you the reason why you can experience what they're talking about, and then they'll stop and say, you have to buy my series. Huh? Don't they do that? Yes, they do. They bring you right to, okay, okay, and then, how much do I got to pay? And then you feel like gypped, like, I'm not paying that. And then you also realize, and I guess I'll never have that. But that's not God. God gives you the whole thing immediately and then says, here, meet me, see me, experience me, and then have it like today. You mean today I can have it? I don't have to wait for postage? Come on. Come on. I don't have to wait three or four days. You mean it's not even overnight. It's just instantaneous God and you can experience one another and have prayers answered. This is not based on you and your performance. This is based on the obedience of Jesus Christ and instantly you stand in the same place as Christ toward God. Raised up to sit together with him as though you were just as deserving as Jesus of every answer to a prayer that comes from God's will for your life. And that last little bit that I tacked on, God's will for your life, if you look and see what God has willed for your life, it's pretty amazing. Amen. So don't worry, you're not going to be short-sheeted. Well, praise the Lord. Some of you are wondering, oh, holy smokes, what did we get into this morning? John chapter 17, verse 20. This is the Riggs translation. I just want to read a little bit, and then we're going to go ahead and kind of bounce off this thought to what I'm going to share with you that's so simple. Jesus is speaking here to his Father and says, Such is my prayer for these beloved disciples. But my heart's desire reaches out beyond them to all believers in all times and places who shall by means of their preaching come to faith in me. Which is just simply saying, he's saying, I'm, I'm praying not only for you that are here in my midst, but I'm praying for everyone that shall receive me as Lord and Savior. So is he not praying for us? Yes. He is. Notice what it says. May they, O Father, be one. Now, what are you praying for us? He's praying for one thing. And that one thing is that we would know that we are one. Inseparable. Amen. In other words, if you could help yourself out, and you would help yourself out, for whatever you've been going through or whatever crisis arises, then you being one with God means that God will help you just as much as you would help you, and he'll even do a better job. Amen. 
It goes on to say, let nothing imperil the unity. In other words, let nothing hinder the unity of those who accept me as their Savior. And then he went on to say, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, one in spirit and life, may they be one in us, in order that by such a spiritual unity the world may be compelled to believe in the divine order of my mission. In other words, the same way Jesus says that I am one in you and you are one in me, may they know that they have now stepped into me and I have stepped into them. That the world may be compelled to believe in the divine origin of my mission. Now the world's right now not compelled to believe in anything that a believer says. Have you not noticed? We've kind of become irrelevant to the world. When you say things like, can I pray for you? Ooh. Hey, Jesus wants... Mm. I mean, you can't say that kind of stuff anymore. We're skiing up in Colorado just a few weeks ago. And as we're going to a particular part of the hill, a guy gets off. He's on a snowboard. He gets off the, the, the chairlift. And, uh, you know, you kind of got to skate. You're on one... You know, a, a snowboard, you know, you're bound in with both feet, you know, versus skis, you got two, you know. So he's, you, you take the binding off your back foot and you kind of skate the snowboard to get onto the lift and then you got to skate off just on one foot and then you have to attach your binding in order to ski. Well, he's skating off, coming off the chairlift and someone went in front of him so he twisted and his knee poof, just popped like that. He's on the ground just cussing up a blue string. Blankety blank this and blankety blank that and blankety blank me and blankety blank me and I, you know that and it's like I wanted to just say, are you a man or a mouse, you little thing? <laughs> Take it like a man for crying out loud, little wimpy person. But you don't say everything you want to say. You know, just because you have a thought don't mean you sin. It's what you do with that thought. Huh? Yeah. Have you ever had a thought and you knew it wasn't your thought, but you still kind of felt like your thought because it was a thought? <laughs> Doesn't mean it's yours. Hey, man, a wise man that, that I preached four years ago used to t say it this way. Bird, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. Yeah. Right? So I, I had a thought, you know, I wanted to just slap him. But anyhow, I, he's hurting. And, and my, my future son-in-law immediately just gets down on his knee and says, hey, Jesus wants to heal you. Let me pray for you. F you, and blank, and blank, and blank. He said, no, 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 really. He wants to touch you. He wants you to stop hurting right now. And blank, don't you blank, and touch and blank, and blank. And so he just stood at a distance into the name, and he said, no, 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 like this. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know. So I just wanted some little inroad. So I looked at him and I said, you look so uncomfortable. Can I at least help you to get comfortable right now? And he looked at me and said, yeah, th thank you. And I grabbed his hand. And the moment I grabbed his hand, I transmitted God's glory into him. He said, well, how could you do that? Well, it's kind of like when I was playing, you know, when we would play pickup basketball games in the, in the day that, you know, I grew up in, you used to have, the only distinction was some, one team wore their t-shirts and the other team wore skins. Does that, you understand that? Yeah. that? So you took your shirt off. Well, just instinctively, it seemed like 
I always was on the team that had the shirts, which is good because I like to have my shirt on, but then you'd be up against guys that, that had bare chest and bare bellies. And some of these guys were real big and they would sweat like crazy. And you'd go up, you know, for a layup and go up against one of them like this and just, oh. And you'd be like, oh, I've been slimed, you know. So when God is on you, you can slime somebody. Because his residue is amazing. Better than pixie dust. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It'll get out of you and go on people. And Another story just jumped up in my brain. So remember where we were on the ski slope, okay? And then I'll finish telling you about the cat. And then we'll give you the benediction and we'll send you home. Amen. So I'm, I'm out in San Diego and I walked into the back of the church and it was a Hispanic church. And they're worshiping and they're moving in ways that were like, oh my God, can my hips do that? Because when I grew up in church, I mean, you couldn't move when you sang. And I remember even singing the, the, the Imperial, sail on when the water gets hot. And my, my grandfather just totally went right to my mother and said, he moved his hips. <laughs> and I, I, I wanted to tell Grandpa, if they moved, it was on their own. Because I, I wasn't like, you know... And so these guys are just worshiping and they're all praising and they're not wanting to stop. And it wasn't like, you know, one song and then everybody just stops. It's like they just kept on praising and went right into the next song. And I thought, this is beautiful. I want this so bad. I really hunger for this. Oh, God, I don't even want to go up in the front because I don't want to miss any. So I just stood in the back and just watched. I think, mm, I'm liking this. I'm just trying to, you know, trying to move. And this family comes in late. And it was like four kids, the mother and the father. And the kids walk by and I smiled at them. The mother walks by and I just kind of nodded my head. And the father comes and he shakes his, puts his hand out and I shook his hand. And then he walked about five feet like this and turned around, put his hands on his hip and just looked at me. <laughs> and so that first time that he looked at me, then I became a little bit self-conscious because I'd just been to the bathroom. And so now you're... You're checking to make sure everything's okay. Because I'm going to go up there and preach. I don't look like an idiot, you know. Oh, my God, his fly is open, you know. I was in Minnesota. I walked into the church. And, and actually, this lady was actually a very, very pretty lady. And she greeted me. She goes, your fly's open. So I thought, well, if you saw it, I don't care. I just zipped it right up right in front of her. But I told her, I said, well, thank you. It's, it's better than going up there and everybody kind of. Okay, so he looks at me and I, I'm just like, what? What? And then finally he goes off and he, and he walks all the way around to where his family is in this whole row and stops at the row, turns around and looks at me. I'm like, oh my God, what's your deal? You know? And at this point I'm starting to think like, why don't you mind your own business? You know, I'm minding my own business. And finally, he goes into his row, and I'm thinking, good. I'm just sitting back there worshiping God. And all of a sudden, I look over, and he literally goes like this to his kids. His kids fall back. The chairs all move, and he made this big, huge ruckus, and then here he comes. 
right at me. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get in a fight. <laughs> because that's all I could think of. My dad always told me, say, if you're going to get in a fight, hit him first. So I was just like, I'm, I got my hand behind my back like this, just loaded, ready to just, <laughs> and we'll deal with the papers afterwards, you know what I mean? Minister, Dex, you know, anyhow. So I'm thinking, I'm getting in a fight. This is just so bad. Everything's going wrong here, and I'm just trying to enjoy myself. And he walks, marches right up. I got my fist all cocked here, ready to go. Watches right up to me, gets right in my face like this, and says, so what did you do to me? And then all of a sudden, it clicked, I, I realized. I said, I shook your hand, why do you ask? He said, because when you, and all of a sudden these tears came, started dropping off his cheeks. He said, when you touched me, he said, something came out of you. And he said, it's all over me right now. He said, what'd you do to me? And I said, that's just God's love. Isn't that wonderful? What he's doing to you. Not me, but him. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so where were we? So I grabbed that guy's hand. And the moment I grabbed that guy's hand, I transmitted or just released that power. That's all I want is just to be able to touch him. And instead of him just sitting up to a seated position, he just went ahead and jumped all the way up. And he goes, wow. And I said, isn't it interesting that it doesn't hurt? He said, yeah, wow. I said, move it. He goes, it's not out of place. I said, no, it's not. And I said, it's interesting thing is, in five minutes from now, you'll wonder why you were ever on the ground. And the ski patrol goes, well, we can't turn in a false report. I said, I was there, I saw it happen. I said, it just doesn't have to be what you think it is. Maybe it actually could be fine. And the guy walked off. Amen. So the lady said, you know, uh, what's a miracle? He said, you, being a Christian all these years, finally believe God. Four days later, she called my friend. She was all hysterical, said, oh my God, you won't believe it. You won't believe it. You won't believe it. He said, what won't I believe? She said, I took my cat to the vet, and my, my, my veterinarian gave it a cat scan. I know that's really bad. <laughs> and she said, in the scan, he said, oh, my God, I can't believe what has happened to the skull of your cat. He said, you totally crushed the skull, but I don't even know what it is that put it back together, but it's amazing. And then he began to scan the rest of the cat, and then all of a sudden, big old tears started dropping off his cheeks. And she said, Doc, what's wrong? He said, well, I spayed your cat, but all the female organs are back in. Your cat can have kittens. To which my friend said, ma'am, I'm going to give you money to get that cat spayed again. We don't need any more ugly cats in Tulsa. <laughs> Come on. Notice what this is saying as, as we turn in our Bibles, okay? We're, he's talking about the unity, the oneness that actually causes results. Isn't this interesting? What would compel the world to believe in the order of Jesus' divine mission? It's when the church starts actually producing results. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Now look over to Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. And I'm going to give you a few things here. The next 30 minutes are going to be super, super simple. 
And I thank God for some of the things that we said earlier as we approached the, the podium, that there's someone's liver being healed today, there's a spine being healed today, amen, there's some different things with the scalp being healed today, praise the Lord, there's some wonderful things God's doing, touching your shoulders being healed today, amen, and don't just wait until the end of all this, start moving around, do what you couldn't do. In other words, trust God. How do you connect with him? By actually believing that what he said and what he's doing is real. And if it is real, then you ought to be able to respond to it. Amen. Amen. Now you understand, and I've had some people, you know, challenge me on this, say, well, you know, the only thing that you have to ever make a decision about is the first decision, and that's, being, that's, that's making a decision for Jesus. After then, it's all his grace. Well, it is all his grace, but all of his grace still has to be interacted with. In other words, I mean, I, I made a decision to, to love and honor my wife and to marry her. Well, then the very next day, I just didn't sit there. I said, that's the only decision I ever need to make. Because she could also just sit there and say, that's the only decision I ever need to make. And we'd have an absolutely terrible marriage. And it wouldn't be long before all of a sudden uh, the feelings of love would dissipate. And you'd probably just buy into the way the world sees everything. If you don't feel it, then it, obviously it's not real. Aren't you glad that we've learned something about real love? Yes. That it's not just based on a feeling. Praise the Lord. It's based on a reality. When you make a decision for someone to love them with all your heart and stay with them for all your life, that's now your reality. You may say later, well, I don't know if I married the right one. Well, when you married her, she became the right one. Huh? Now live out of your heart, not out of your flesh. Praise the Lord, because your heart now is connected to her as one spirit, one person. Amen. You wouldn't afflict yourself. Well, don't then afflict her. Praise the Lord. Feelings are fickle. But when you act on the God kind of love, feelings will surface according to that love. You can have those same feelings all the time. This is one of my pet peeves, even with marriage. We've conditioned people so wrongly we make this new couple that just got married and they're all giddy about one another and they're laughing and they've got joy and they're smiling and they always want to touch everyone and say, well, you know, they're on their honeymoon. No, they're not. No, they're not. They just happen to be unselfishly responding to one another. It's later when they end up wanting to be selfish that all of a sudden the feelings of that love start to wane and then you think you've just settled back into real marriage as it really is. Well, la-dee-da, amen. It can be exciting every day if you learn to unselfishly live out of your heart. And we do the same thing to a believer who gets saved. They're so excited about Jesus and people stand on the sidelines and cast bets on how long they'll be excited. Well, you just wait, you know, that's just, you know, they're just saved, you know. Then they're going to become like us, all pickled and pruned and my God just hating to come to church, but we do it because we have to. No, it's the same exact thing. The same feelings and emotions that are attached to Jesus because he's new and you're excited can stay that way when you end up engaging in a, a relationship instead of a religion. Amen. 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 Yes, yes. 
Amen. I'm preaching a whole lot better than the two people that patty cake their hands. Amen. <laughs> but thank you for that clap. I appreciate anything at this point. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. I, I, I thought it was a little different here at Highway Church. I just wanted to make sure I was still on the highway. Now leave me alone. Let me finish my sermon. Philemon chapter 1 verse 6 says that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Well, my God, of course we want it to become effective. By the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ. Now, I just want to share with you a little tidbit here and give you a picture so you can hold on to this picture. You know, you may not be real good at archery. You know, you may shoot here and move, and of course the arrow <laughs> misses the target, or if you hit the target, it hits the hay, doesn't even hit the, you know. You may not be, but grace is so amazing that grace just seems to adjust so that you hit the bullseye every time. So don't be freaked out about this relationship with God like you have to perfect yourself. He's perfecting you. And that's part of his ability to actually manipulate the target so you hit bullseye with every single strike. Praise the Lord. But there is something about the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you. And that's our response to a God that wants to do everything. Now, you know, in my marriage, you know, I can't rely on her to do everything. I have to tow the, the line as well and, and, and pick up my part in the relationship. And every relationship is different based on personalities and giftings. In some relationships, you know, the wife handles, you know, the, the books because she's just better at keeping track of the money. In other relationships, the man does that. Well, that's up to you, okay? You guys figure some of that out. And my wife and I have figured out certain things that allow us to be very comfortable with each other. But I have to do my part just as much as she does her part. Well, our part with the Lord is our acknowledgement of all that he's doing because he actually wants to do all of it. I said he wants to do all of it. Like, let me ask you the question. Adam and Eve in the garden, how much did they do? Nothing. And you know, when he said you need to tend or cultivate or keep the garden, you know what that really meant? It meant you need to guard your heart. They didn't have to do work. What were they doing? Pulling weeds? Huh? Getting rid of thorns, right? No, no, they weren't. There weren't any weeds or thorns, right? God made a perfect environment. So what were they doing? Guarding their heart, which should have tipped them off. If I have to guard my heart, then it's possible there's something here that would try to cause me to stray from my heart. And what is my heart? It's my connection to God. And that connection's so perfect that my only responsibility really is my acknowledgement all day long of the many wondrous things that he's doing for me continually, and I recognize them and I acknowledge it. I recognize it and I acknowledge it. I recognize it and I acknowledge it. 
Even in a husband and wife relationship, the things that you recognize and acknowledge are very important. Now, sad to say, because we get negative in our thinking and we look at things through the eye of negativity, what we recognize and acknowledge in our partner most of the time is what they do wrong. But if you were to acknowledge what they did right, they would probably want to do that again. Amen? Amen? And then again, and then again. And what would be the possibility in a relationship that if you started acknowledging what they did right and then they did so many more things right because they felt empowered by your acknowledgement of what they did right and that you're actually recognizing the things that they're trying to do even though there's things that just come out naturally that are wrong, that the good would swallow up the wrong and you wouldn't hardly see anything that's wrong anymore. It would just be all the acknowledgments of what's right. Amen. My uncle, who went on to be with the Lord at about 94 years of age, he was a San Salvadorian preacher. My, my aunt was a missionary, went down to San Salvador, and they got married. And then they came up to the United States and were out in Colorado, and he was you know, doing some Spanish churches out there. And so his ability to communicate with me was only through my aunt. You know, he was just pretty much say, Jimmy, how are you? And I would say, como esta? You know, and that's about all my, my ability too. So anyhow, he said to me before I got married, he said, I have to give you a very important lesson before you get married. He said, before you get married, open both eyes very wide. He said, after you get married, close one and squint with the other. And you know, that'll keep you married. The only problem is, is we reverse that and we're, we're, we're dating with one eye closed and squinted and then we get married and go, oh my God. The things I do for you just to help you to enjoy the service. Look over at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I learned this as a little boy. I'm sure you did too. <laughs> You're laughing because it's so true. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. I've never said it like that, but I just felt like I needed to make you feel at home. And lean not unto your own understanding. So he didn't say you trust the Lord with your understanding. You trust the Lord with your heart. Would I make a good New Englander? I'm working on it. If I talk like this when I get home, my wife's going to kick me out of the house. It's really a blast to go all over the country and hear how different people talk and how different people think. I was down in, was down in South Carolina and this one lady from Nashville, you know, she, she just, eh, eh, it was just all, all nasal. Everything, she came right out here. And she said, y'all, I, I just don't know why y'all having trouble with this. And then said, hey, y'all, y'all. And I said, no, now we're time out, time out. I said, you can use it once, but you can't do it twice, back to back. She said, what I, what I do? I said, you said y'all, y'all. So that's how we talk in North Carolina, you know, or, or Tennessee. 
And I said, well, my God. I said, just, just give me one. Leave the other one off. <laughs> and I was just busting. I love her. She's great, you know. <laughs> Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean out into your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he'll direct your path. Notice he said, acknowledge him in all your ways. Now, just real quick. You can't acknowledge somebody if they're not present. Huh? And if I'm to acknowledge him in all my ways, what's, that, what's he trying to say? Is he really trying to say, I, I'm going to be with you at all times and I actually want to be involved in everything you do? Because why would you acknowledge somebody in all your ways if they're just standing? Like, you going to just sit there while I do this? So what am I acknowledging? I'm acknowledging the fact that they're actually working with me and helping me in everything that I do. Everything that I do. Everything. Like this can get so good in this relationship by acknowledging him in everything you do that you'll actually begin to open up the spiritual world to your physical eyes and all of a sudden he will become extremely real while someone else that has no clue about acknowledging him and he's just somebody that you lift up your hands or somebody that you just go to a building at 10 o'clock on a Sunday and that's what your relationship is related to. Your relationship is related to the building at 10 o'clock. No, it's not related to the building at 10 o'clock. It has nothing to do with the building at 10 o'clock. It has to do with somebody that's in your life, personally present in your life. And to the degree that you actually acknowledge them or interact with them has to do with how real they become. Come on, when I played make-believe with my girls and they would come to me, little Drew would come to me, you know, with a little tea thing. She said, Daddy, I made tea for you. And I said, oh, that's awesome. I said, I'm kind of chilly. I need a little bit of warm tea. And then I went like this. And I said, did you, did you put any milk in it? Oh, she said, I'll go get some. And she goes and gets a little, and she comes back, and she said, how much? I said, keep pouring. And I said, any sugar? I'll go get some. And she runs over and she comes back. How much? I said, two, two lumps of sugar. And she puts it, and I take the spoon and I start. And while I'm stirring it, she's looking like this, like she's anticipation. And I'm stirring, and then I took, took a sip and I, she said, what's wrong, Daddy? I said, did you really make this? She said, yes. I said, I think it's the best cup of tea I've ever had. She said, you want a cookie? I do. <laughs> and then she ran. That was, as much as I worked with her in making believe, it still didn't put any tea in that cup. See, we're not, we're not acting and we're not acknowledging and responding to nothing that people are just, you know, telling you is there. A snow job. Worship God. He never shows up. Well, it's because he's really not real. We just wanted you to have something to encourage you with. No, he's a real person. So the more you acknowledge him, the more you're giving tangibility and value to the spiritual world, the more that world begins to become real to you. You see, Adam and Eve didn't even know they had a body until they sinned, which tells you something. What does it tell you? That the body and the physical world was not the primary world that they were interacting with. They were interacting with God. Come on, let me ask you a question. I know this, this is a tough one here, but when Adam and Eve opened their eyes as God created them, were they looking at God or a Bible? 
See, that's very interesting, isn't it? The reason why we, no, no, don't get this wrong, the Bible is our foundation. It's pure and it's scripture and it's right and it's true. So you can find how God thinks, you can find characteristics of God in the Bible, you can see how other people interacted with God and the kind of things that they benefited from when you look into the Bible. But the Bible is not your relationship with God. The Bible encourages you to find God in your heart. And when you find God in your heart, that means the very, the very realest part of yourself is the person on the inside. Not the flesh on the outside, the person on the inside. Come on. You know, it didn't take long for me to figure out that while I got my golf clubs on my back and a smile on my face and I'm walking out the door saying, honey, I love you, that, that that didn't always go over as well as I, I pictured it. Because when it was time for me to maybe go and play, and I didn't, and she said, what are you doing? Well, I thought I'd just hang out with you for the day. I didn't even have to say, I love you. All of a sudden, there's this warmth coming towards me. Huh? Well, don't, you know, <laughs> embellish it so much, you know. <laughs> like, rub it in. I learned it. My God, I got, you know, I got. She's helping me preach. <laughs> Come up here to the Northeast and everybody just, you know, knows your, knows your stuff for you. Come on, just having fun. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, real, real quick here. Let's, let's go further in this. Romans chapter 1. It's 1142. Romans chapter 1. Now, where I grew up, the Baptist got out at 12 o'clock. Okay? So, so, you know. Verse 18 says, in the Message Bible, but God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over truth. And this is talking about people who have had their minds have gone uh, to more of the flesh and the world and have become twisted. And you know this passage is talking about twisted in relationships, men with men, women with women, all right? But here's the point that I wanna make. The point I want to make is it goes on to say, but the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a, a good excuse. In other words, what he's saying is even in the midst of people's minds that have been twisted to believe in things that are not so, they still have no excuse. When they look at God's creation, they can find him everywhere right so my point about this is the very lowest level of a connection with God has to do with how you perceive the things that God has made it's very interesting isn't it you could go out into the woods and five minutes in the woods all of a sudden you go like this And you're really not necessarily looking at any one particular thing. It's just grace 
is everywhere that God's creation is. Why? Because when he made it, he put a residue of himself in it. You can look at the stars on a beautiful night and all of a sudden there's a calm that comes to your heart and you just think, man, how beautiful. God, you're so amazing. You know every one of them by name. You look at the snow that just fell today. Do you realize every single snowflake has a different pattern? How is that possible? Come on, really, how is that possible? And the moment you begin to contemplate the things that God has done, you all of a sudden begin to connect with him. It's the lowest level. Jesus upbraided the Pharisee who was so religiously highfalutin in their ability to know scripture and yet he said you can discern the weather and know when it's going to rain or not going to rain but you don't discern the things of the spirit. I've told you earthly things but you have no concept of heavenly things. How will you know heavenly things if you can't even rely upon the earthly things? So what is Jesus trying to say? He's saying there's enough of me right here in the nature and the things that I've created that if you can't find me in the simplest of things, how will you find me in the things that are unseen? Do you mean I can connect with God through things that are seen? Yes, it's the most amazing thing, what God thinks of his creation. You know, Job, you know, was, was, was buying into the, the idealism of his friends. And God came in a whirlwind, like a tornado, and then spoke to him. Who is this who darkens counsel without knowledge? I'm going to ask questions, and you're going to answer me. Huh? Talk about a moment where Job is like freaking out. What do you think? Where were you when I hung the stars in the sky? You know so much. Tell me. Where were you when I created the planets and put order in the universe? Tell me. Do you know where the Leviathan sleeps? Do you know where the vault of hell is kept for a time of war? Three chapters full of God talking about his creation as a means of what? Of showing Job, you know nothing. I know it all and created it all. So answer me, God said. And here's Job's answer. I have spoken once, but no more. I put my hand over my mouth and will not speak again. Good answer. Good answer. What are we trying to say here? It's very interesting. I'll explain it to you like this. Have you ever been downtown, you know, to, to Times Square? And on a beautiful night, have you ever tried to look up and see the stars? And it's hard to look at the stars because of what? The lights. Who made those lights? Man did. Mm, mm. Now, and I said this the first time I ever said this, I said, now what if you went 30 miles east? Uh, that wouldn't be good. Okay, so <laughs> if we go 30 miles west into upstate New York, into the mountains, and you were to look for the stars, could you find them? Yes. Now, see, we just gave you something really important. The closer you're attached to society and the world that man has made, the less chance you'll have of experiencing the stars or God. 
But the more you retreat to the simple things of life that God has made, you'll find him everywhere. Is God everywhere? Woo! I'm so glad he's everywhere. Amen. Does he want to talk to you and be a part of your life everywhere? Woo! Yes. He said, acknowledge me in everything you do. Well, then how could you be searching for him and it be like two years? I'm still searching for God. He's everywhere. Where the heck are you looking? Huh? Huh? Think about this. If you're not hearing him, it's because your ear is tuned into a different sound. So then I'd have to ask you a question to ask yourself. Are you willing to ask yourself, what am I listening to? If you're not feeling his presence and sense that he's real, what do you feel? Are you willing to ask yourself, what am I feeling? What am I connected to? Because here's the thing. God made man to be connected to something. It's just what are you connected to? God made man spiritually to be connected to God. So the most natural thing for man, normal and to be expected every day, is he would hear God, see God, feel God, taste God, touch God, smell God. That's why I say, you know, walking by faith is not this blind thing. I'm just groping in the darkness. Walking by faith is when your spiritual senses begin to override your physical senses. In other words, I'm hearing what the doctors say, but I'm hearing what God says. And my goodness, what I'm hearing God say is, don't worry. Oh, my goodness. Don't even look at it. Just run to your victory. Woo! And the doctor said, if you run, you're going to die. Well, watch me die. Amen, amen, glory, hallelujah. I remember the first, first man, you know, that I pulled out of a wheelchair, you know, when I was first in healing school. We were basically killing everybody for the first three months. It, was, it, it wasn't a healing center. It was more like a hospice home, you know. Was, whew, you know, and I, I just arrived, you know, that was back in 1994, so I thought, you know, that everybody was getting them healed. So I felt so lumpy because everybody was dying, you know. And this first guy pulled out of a wheelchair. I, I jerked him out of the wheelchair, and then he hit the floor just as, as fast as you can. Wow. And then I thought, oh, man, we better get him back in the chair. And then when we started getting him back in the chair, his pants fell down. <laughs> so at 1030 in the morning, it was a full moon. <laughs> and that don't work real well for a healing. I said, that doesn't work well for a healing. <laughs> so we went to put him back in the chair, but the brakes weren't on the chair. So when his rear end touched it, the chair goes, bing, and he goes, Pff. And then I looked at the guy helping and I said, get him in the chair. And, went, and finally his son came and held the chair and he got in and he was just like this. And I thought, this is really not good. <laughs> it's not good. It's really not good. And I had this long walk back up to the pulpit. And, and, and I just started shucking and jiving. That's a southern term for like saying something, but you're saying nothing. Glory to God, hallelujah, the Lord is good. He's a healing Jesus. Praise the Lord. Everybody worship him. I just threw the guy on the floor three times and his pants came down. This is a disaster. And I turned around like this, and I just didn't know what to say. And all of a sudden, the guy says, Preacher, I'll tell you what, you were right in what you did. And I couldn't even believe that. I said, what I do right? 
He said, I got feeling in my body for the first time in my life. I thought, well, if you had a belt on for crying out loud, you could run around the room. I don't jerk them up anymore when they got, you know, hospital gowns on. This is, not, this is really going a different way than I thought. Turn your Bible over to Matthew, please. I was so messing up my sermon today. Just don't even know where to begin. Come on, let me give you this real simple part here in the next couple of minutes. You're going to love this. Remember when God was calling his disciples? Remember a guy named Nathaniel? He came to Nathaniel and said, Oh, there's a man in whom no guiled. Nathaniel said, Well, how, how do you know me? Because he doesn't know who he is, you know. It's not like, you know, Jesus came with a halo on. Oh, my God, this is an angel or this is the Lord. He's just a person. And so Jesus says, there's an, there's an Israelite in whom is no guile. And Nathaniel's response was, well, how do you know me? Who are you? How do you know me? What's up? You know, the interesting thing is, is the answer to what's up is, what's up? <laughs> hey, what's up? What's up? Can you imagine coming from another country? What's up? What's up? Oh my God, is there no in, you know, individuality here? Originality? What's up? What's up? I asked first, you know. It's like, sorry, that's really tacky. Any, anyhow, let's go on. He says, <laughs> I really want to get through this, okay? So keep our composure. He says, how do you know me? He said, I saw you while you were underneath the fig tree. And Nathaniel realized no one was around. And then Nathaniel acknowledged him. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, that's right, don't forget it, pal. <laughs> no, no, you know what he said? Same thing that happens when you acknowledge him. He said, did you like that? Nathaniel's like, yeah. And he said, you want to see more? Yeah. Can everybody say more? More. Do you use the R in that one? <laughs> more or more? <laughs> Would you like to see more? Now see, that's always God's response when you acknowledge him. Because every time you recognize and acknowledge what he's doing, it becomes an invitation from you for him to be invested more in your life. And God's the God of more than enough, not El Chipo, El Shaddai. Amen? He's the God of more than enough. So God, what you see and what you've experienced is nothing. My friend who's, who's going home and experiencing God personally, I asked him, I said, so do you feel like you're starting to experience the tip of the iceberg? And this is what his answer was. He said, tip of the iceberg? Are you kidding? He said, if anything I've experienced so far, he said, it's just looking at a picture of a tip of an iceberg. 
Because you see, there's no limit in God. There's no boundaries on God. You can go as far as you want, have as much as you want, and have it as often as you want. So if we don't have very much, what does that say? But we're not responding to the relationship. Because my wife and I, think about it, on every single day we're around each other, we have testimonies. Testimonies for our conversation, testimonies for the things that we do together. We can talk about experiences at the end of the day and say, wasn't that nice when we were walking downtown and we saw that? See, an experience. It wasn't that nice this morning when, when I woke up and I came downstairs and the first thing you did is, is you wanted to give me a hug. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you for that interaction. She said, well, I appreciate it because, see, her love language is acts of service, so I, I feel like i got to do everything, you know what I mean? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and she says, you know, well, I appreciate so much the way that you just did the things that you did. Interaction. Yeah. Testimony. That's the relationship with God. I'm telling you, a real church service for the church, which is not the building but you, ought to be where you can't wait to get here because you've got so many experiences from just last week that when they say who has testimony, like the little boy who had 15 questions from the teacher that he didn't know and his head was down like this, and then the one that he did know, Right? You can't wait for testimony because you got them. You've been hanging out with Jesus. You've been recognizing him and then acknowledging him. Recognizing and acknowledging. And what does he want to do every time you give him acknowledgement? He wants to do more. Do you think that's all I have? He said to Nathaniel, would you like more? He said more. He said, then you're going to see heaven open and angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. More, more, more. Is anybody getting anything out of this? The last few minutes that we have together. Matthew 6. And I'm going to, this is the Message Bible, so I don't know where this is starting, but it's, it's over at, like, you can't worship two gods at once. I'm going to talk about the birds and stuff, so find that out in your King James where that is, because I'm, I'm going to get, I'm just going to go right to this. You can't worship two gods at once, so you can't multitask in the Spirit. Sorry. You hold this for a second. You, you know, this is an important point that I'm going to make, and I'm going to make it real quick. We are forced to multitask in the world that we live in. We are. Now, don't think I'm, I'm, I'm going to make you feel bad, but is anybody here, you're getting pretty good at multitasking? We all, are you pretty good? We all, we all have to be, though, you know? But, but hold on, hold on. Multitasking is being divided into many different directions at the same time. And the fact that we can develop that skill is wonderful for this life. But, but wait, time out. If you're developing that skill for this life, the other life, you can't even find it with that skill. So yes, 
I'm not taking anything away from our ability to multitask in this world. But for finding God and for God to be real, it has to be one heart, one mind, a single eye focus. Like how can you find the world that you don't know until you're willing to turn your back on the one that you do? So the parameters and the way that we function in this life, there's nothing about the way we function in the world of the flesh that will help you to find the world of the Spirit or you would already have found it. What I'm getting ready to share with you, I've already been, but I'm just going to tie it into a nice little bundle. It's very interesting that when you take the consensus of our religious experiences through all of our lives, through different denominations and different places, you look at it and you'll always come back to one thing and people have always tried to make you aware of your own inability or ability. And the moment they do that, it always comes up with you lacking. I didn't do as well as I should have. I should have done better. I'm trying to find God. I should have read more chapters. I should have studied a little bit more. I for sure can always pray more. I'm just not praying enough. And then when you pray more, you feel like maybe you're worthy of receiving a blessing. And it all goes back to your own performance and your own ability. Well, guess what? If that was right, then we would have Christians full of testimonies and experiences with God. But because we don't, just by the sheer fact that we don't tells you that that method has to be wrong. So what I'm sharing with you today may sound a little different, but I will guarantee you one thing. If you want to get religious about something, then get religious about looking for God everywhere. And the moment you see the smallest little thing, you recognize it, you acknowledge it. Lord, that was great. I know that you were involved right there. That's pretty awesome. Thanks for being a part of everything I do. It means a lot to me. Would you like to see more? Oh, God, I'd love to see more. And then all of a sudden, you go from one experience of God's grace to 10 experiences of God's grace until by noon, you can't count how many experiences of God's grace you can find. And right while you're doing all the things you used to do before, the first thing that happens is the drama of life falls off of you because you no longer have value for the things of this world. It doesn't mean you still can't have a nice car. It doesn't mean you can't have a boat. It doesn't mean you can't you know, enjoy a vacation. It's just, it's not what's important because if I can't enjoy God on my boat, enjoy God in my car and find God on my vacation then I don't want the vacation don't want the nicer car and don't want the boat because everything about what matters is how well I'm connected to God now from God to you he put a cell tower on your back and gave you five bars that that's redemption and you say well, well I have sprint well that's fine God put a sprint tower I have AT&T. He put an AT&T tower. See, he'll, he'll customize it for you, but he wants you to know in Christ comes into your life, he connects to you. See, the Old Testament was all about you had to work your way through the crowd to touch Jesus. The New Testament is Jesus worked through the crowd to touch you. But then how are you responding to his touch? And that's not a work, that's relationship. I said, that's not work, that's a relationship. Are you mindful of him? Because if you are, you'll find him. Yes. Yes. 
haven't even thought about God in 30 days. Oh my gosh. See, we can get so into the things we do and the patterns and the habits and routines that God's not a part of that because if God were a part of it, you'd already be finding him. Look at how this reads right here. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for God, live in a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to the outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds. Now look what he's telling us to do. He says, I'm going to give you an example, something to look at, something that everybody can do. Oh, my God, you're going to tell us to be a bird watcher? <laughs> no, that's just a place where you can start to notice things that have God in them to find grace or God's influence in something that you can see that will help you to connect with God's influence with what you can't see. And why would I want to experience that influence? Because the more you experience God's influence that you can't see, the more it'll show up in your life like a tumor that disappears and an eye that begins to see and your family members that begin to come home and drama that begins to fall off your life and you begin to experience God in the smallest of little things and now you don't really care about the entertainment of the world anymore like we all do. You have your own entertainment and it's hanging out with God. It's hearing him say something and watching it happen. Happen. And it gets so freaky as you begin to connect with God like this that he'll even manifest your thoughts. That's when it starts to go, okay, I just thought that. I didn't even pray that. And it manifests right before you. I just thought that. Lord, you, you, I, and it's happened to me so much now that a thought manifests right before my face. And sometimes I don't even realize it was my thought. I see the manifestation of something. I think, oh, my God, I just thought that. Yes. How did that work? See, he, he's conditioning us to pay attention to him. Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. He wants to even get into your thought life because in the spiritual realm, you're not going to be flapping your gums at God. It's even just your thoughts that he hears and you hear his thoughts which is telling you your thoughts to God are just as real as your words to God. He said, look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. You count far more to them than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of a mirror ever gotten taller by so much of an inch? All this time and money wasted on, on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflower. Now you're looking at flowers. But you know what? We can get caught up on concrete and in metal buildings. All day, come back to our home, walk into our home from our garage. We didn't even walk outside. We just put the garage door up by, by, uh, you know, um, by remote and walked into the house and turned on a TV. And now we're looking at electronics. And we do that day in, day out, day in, day out, and don't even notice the smallest of little things that could connect you to God. Things that are staring you in the face. If God gives such appearance, uh, attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll tend to you, take pride in you, and do his best for you? What I'm trying to get you to do here is relax, to not be so occupied or preoccupied with getting something so that you can respond to God's giving. 
Is it possible God's giving us things constantly, making contributions into our life, but we're not receiving them because we don't respond to them? You can't make somebody take something, you know. Huh? Look at how many people are out passing out tracks, and where they were standing, you'll see tracks all over the ground. Why? People take and throw them down. Can't make somebody take something. What if our spiritual life looked just like that? God's tracks, God's blessings on the ground. Because we're not acknowledging that it's him. You know, people do this all the time. Wow, that was a coincidence. Well, maybe it was God. Well, I was really lucky about that. That car almost hit me. Maybe it was God. Maybe grace, God's grace, is everywhere. Have you ever been vacuuming? And then all of a sudden your wife comes into the room and she pulls the curtain back and the sun comes in and you go, oh my God. Because the air is full of particles. And as long as you didn't see it that way with the sun coming in, you were breathing fine. And the moment it came in, huh? It's kind of like getting on an elevator and somebody sneezes a real wet one. And, and you're going to the 50th floor and you, How you doing? Doing fine. <laughs> Why? Because you don't want to breathe? <laughs> I've never done that. I just want to see if you've done that. It's obvious you have. No, I'm just kidding. We've all, we've all done stuff like that. Look what the Lord's saying. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. We're fussing over things that God actually wants to bring into your life. All he wants to do is just have somebody acknowledge them. You ever been to someone's house and they don't even pay attention to you? Like after five minutes of sitting there and they still haven't even talked to you, you think, ugh. Right? Wouldn't you get up and say, maybe there's a better time for this to happen? And you walk out and go like, never. Huh? My wife and I went with Brother Hagen. He calls us... Kenneth Hagin, who died back in 2003, a prophet, you know, um, a, a tremendous minister. You know, his, his personality wasn't that great, you know what I mean? Because he didn't, didn't interact well with people, but a super, super guy. He calls us up and says, hey, you want to go to lunch with me? We're like, yeah, sure. So he comes and picks us up. We get into the car. On the way over to the, to the place where we're going to eat, all he said was, glory to God. So I don't know, I just said, I, I just said, I said, glory to God. He said, after a few more minutes, as we're getting close, he goes, well, praise the Lord. And I said, praise the Lord. What's up? What's up? What's up? We get to the restaurant, and he goes, hey, order whatever you like. I said, ah, good. We look, and we ordered, and I said, man, it's a nice day out. He goes, nice day. <laughs> sure great to be with you, Dad. We called him Dad because he's like a spiritual father. Said, sure great to be with you, Dad. Said, yep. <laughs> Started eating our soup, and I asked him a spiritual question, you know, and it took him about four bites of his soup or four slurps of his soup to go, nope, <laughs> was his answer. 
Under the table, my wife has already moved her foot over and touching my foot and pushing on it. And it's, it's speaking volumes to me, pushing. And then finally the meal was over, and he said, well, did you enjoy it? I said, it was great. We got back in the car, and as soon as we got back in the car, he said, glory to God. And I said, glory to God. Right when we were pulling into the, into the, back to the school, he said, praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. We got out, and he said, sure glad you had a chance to see me. Sure beats going alone. I said, I love you too. We got out of the car, my wife looks at me, she said, I will never go with him again. We enjoyed fellowship with him. Sometimes he'd talk for two, three hours, but sometimes all he wanted was just somebody to be there, you know. Think about our father as we're closing. What if you start acknowledging him everywhere? It goes on to say what I'm trying to do is to get you to pay attention to God reality, God provisions, the things that are important. Because when you begin to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he adds everything to you. In other words, you just take moments, and everybody can do this. I think of little Tatiana that was listening on a radio show to us talking. She's eight years of age, and she would go to the park constantly. In the park, she would just notice everything. I mean, like, oh, my God, I couldn't find my keys this morning, and yet squirrels can find every nut they buried. How do they do that? Well, that's God's grace. And the moment you see them digging up a nut, you can say, Lord, that's grace. You gave that little guy the ability to find nuts. And then you look in the sky and you see geese that fly north and south and they don't go east and west. So how do they do that? That's an inward Geiger counter. Oh my God, I can't get to the store without my GPS. How do they do that? That's grace. And all of a sudden you begin to notice one little experience of grace after another. You see ants that all go in line and they follow each other, you know. You see all kinds of things. It's all around us at all times. And the moment you begin to connect with something that God made, that God's invested in, you're connecting with him. Remember he said, in the way that you do to the least of mine, you've done it unto me. Remember that? Well, see, the way that you respect even the things that God's made is a way that you are acknowledging and respecting how God is real to you. And every bit of those little bit of connectors, think about this, Solomon 2.15, Song of Solomon 2.15 says, the little foxes spoil the vine. Well, if it's little foxes that spoil the vine, it's probably little tiny repairs that repair it. People want this grandiose thing to happen in their life, but it's staring them in the face constantly. What? Little tiny things where God's involved. I'm out on the ranch, and I'm, and I, and I'm cutting firewood, and, we're, and we're, we're, we got this big machine here that's splitting the wood, and, and, and my friend BJ, you know, he's experiencing God, and this is just some insight from him, and he's standing right there, and a big piece of wood, it falls off the top of the, the pile of wood that I'm, I'm working with, and it lands right near my foot and right near his foot. And he let a couple of minutes go by, and then he looked at me and said, I thanked the guys, that's what he calls God, the guys. He said, I thanked the guys that it didn't hit my foot. Did you? And I said, well, no. He said, see, that's grace. See, you may think, well, it wasn't close to my foot, but the point is, it could have been. And why wasn't it close to our foot? Well, because grace is there. 
And he said, the interesting thing is, is when you would take time to recognize them and acknowledge them over something so simple, to them, what would be their response but to say, let's make sure that nothing ever falls on his foot. What I'm giving you today is a way for you to actually involve God into your life where you see things happen. I could preach you a doctrine. You could go home and try to memorize the doctrine and the scripture that comes with the doctrine. But notice how Jesus preached to people. He would talk about carpentry with carpenters. He'd talk about seeds to farmers. He would talk about fish to, to, to fishermen and money to merchants. He used scripture against a Pharisee to correct him and against the devil to put him in his place. But he became very what? Very real to the people where they could grab it and say, yeah, I understand how that works because then they can apply it with regularity and experience God immediately in their life. See, that's what makes your life so exciting is when all of a sudden you see God work for you. It may seem like a coincidence. It may seem like you're lucky. Boy, I'm having a lucky day. Why? No, you're having a grace-filled day, and you're finally opening up your eyes to recognize that God's actually manipulating things on your behalf, and the more that you would recognize and acknowledge, the more you'd see God do all kinds of things. And this relationship grows not because God hasn't united you to him. That's the doctrine. You're one in him. He's one in you. That's what Jesus prayed. Lord, that nothing would imperil the unity. And everything about our life imperils the unity. I'm not trying to make you sad. I'm trying to make you glad by saying the more you recognize him and acknowledge him, the more you begin to experience the joy of this oneness. Do you know what's going to preach today? It's your testimony. When you look at somebody and say, I was hurting like that, but I'm not hurting anymore. So who's had the problem with the shoulder? Who has the problem with the liver? And who's had the problem with the back? And Hey, man, what's going on right now? It's perfect, isn't it? Hallelujah. Were, were you noticing that during the message? As soon as you said shoulder, I knew it was me. I moved it. Yep. It locked up a little bit. Yep. And then you got your healing, didn't you? That's pretty cool. Did you hear that? That's awesome. Now, we recognize it and we acknowledge it. Isn't that awesome what the Lord did for you? That's God's grace. I've been waiting so long for that. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, brother, let me share this with you as a, as a, as a means of teaching the rest. From this moment on, you'll never have to wait for anything again. I don't know. I try to respect my wife as much as I can for the things that she does. She makes makes a meal. If my wife's food isn't good, it's because the recipe's not good. Because she follows every single day. I mean, she's got all these gadgets from, oh, what are they from? Uh, you could tell me the name of these. Pampered what? Pampered Chef. I hate Pampered Chef. <laughs> she's got all these things, and she'll say, when we're making something, she'll say, here, use this. You have to measure it perfectly. And I'll take an actual teaspoon. she go, what are you doing? I said, a call for a teaspoon. Oh my God, you can't use it. I said, yes, I can. And then I'll actually pour more over it so it runs over. She says, oh, you're going to ruin it. I said, trust me, it'll be amazing. You know, because she's got everything perfect. So if it's, something's not good, it's because the recipe's not good. Because she's going to make it look exactly like the recipe. So I try to, to honor that because we eat at 6 o'clock 
sharp. So when six o'clock is there, I can't say I'm waiting on the food because the food's waiting on me. And the more you begin to recognize and acknowledge him everywhere, pains, problems will dissipate and disappear. And you won't have to wait ever again. Isn't that awesome? At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.